Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good to see everybody. <laughs> Good to see everybody, and thank you, really thank you for the happy birthday and all. We uh, have been in a series that I called Ruin for the Ordinary, Reaching for the Extraordinary, and uh, my desire uh, for this series has been to, uh, for all of us, myself included in this, to kind of reorient our, I guess it's our, our, our way of looking at this thing that we call following Jesus. For those of you who haven't stepped across the line yet you haven't made that decision you haven't given in to that pull pull that love of God you feel it you sense it but you just have kind of been holding back and you haven't uh, stepped into it yet like right across and say I'm committed to follow Jesus I hope you get a, a view of some of the things and some of the tools that the church down through the ages has uh, been given in order to come to know Christ in a deeper and more, in a richer way. Um, you know, we run between two goals when we talk about spiritual disciplines and we talk about ways to come to know God better. We either, we either run to one side where it becomes a big, long list of to-dos or we just say, I can't do anything like that, and we just kind of go on with our life and kind of give up and think, I can't do this. I just can't follow Jesus. I just hope and I think God has something better than that for us. So that's been my desire. We looked at fasting a, a few weeks ago. Uh, some of you in the church are fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, the staff is fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. We're gathering in here and in the cafe on Wednesdays and Fridays during lunchtime to pray. Uh, we took Isaiah 58. We asked the Lord to show us, to begin to show us his perspective. And one of the things that Isaiah 58 points out is that he loves the poor. And he cares for the poor, and he cares for those who don't have. And Jesus has, ha- you know, he has given his church to the world as a gift to be able to meet those needs. And so, not just being spiritually minded in our fasting, we are taking the money that we spend for food or entertainment or whatever's going on on those Wednesdays and Fridays, and we are giving them away. That's what these alms buckets are for down here during the, the last part of our worship. Uh, when the band comes back up in just a little bit, you will be free to come forward and put your alms into these buckets. This, I think so far it's been $1,000 last week you guys gave. $1,000. We are, that's right, yeah, I'm applauding you guys. That's great. That's above, you know, your normal tithes and offerings. That's what you've been giving, given. And uh, some of this is going down the street to the Family Learning Center where we can help people get their GEDs who want to do better in life. It costs $150 for someone to get their GED, and they have a long waiting list of people who can't even afford to better their life. And so we want to help them. We're also helping the Mercy Ministry. Is that me? That's a microphone somewhere. Somewhere. Did you hear that? Lord, if you want my attention, I'm talking about all ears, so I'm definitely willing to be quiet here. Uh, Here you want. So we're giving away the alms offerings, yeah. And uh, 
Prayer, last week we talked about prayer, talking to God. You can go back to the podcast and you can check it out and uh, get caught up on that. I want us to cultivate a relationship with Christ, not create some successful to-do list. Do you get this? I mean, we don't want a holy list like, oh, look how holy I am, I pray. Look how holy I am, I read the Bible. Look how holy I am, I spend time with God. I don't know, that, that's not what we're after here because if that's the way we look at it, then we've just made a down payment on legalism. That's all we've done. And I would hope that we can see that God has invited us into a relationship with him. Um, I mean, I was told years ago that if you love Jesus, you will. If you love Jesus, you must. If you love Jesus, you have to. And I guess there's nothing wrong with saying that. But I went to a Bible study about two years, three years into my following Christ along the beach here. And I walked into it. A friend said, you need to come to this because this is like a boot camp, you know, for, for Christians, for young Christians. So I walked in and the pastor that was speaking to these teenagers and young 20-somethings, he got up and he asked for everybody to repeat their scripture memorization for the week, which I, I've memorized scripture during the week with someone, and we say it to each other, and I believe in it. It's, it's really an awesome discipline. But he had everybody stand up, and, and actually only about two people out of about 30 actually had it memorized, and he sliced and diced every single one of us into little pieces how dare you call yourself a disciple of Jesus and you won't even memorize the scripture. And I mean, dismantled, of course, I'm, I was the oldest guy at 23 in the group. and still the oldest guy in the group. And, uh, and uh, you know, it just did. Maybe it was because I'm a 60s person, you know, but it just didn't sit well with me. And I thought there's got to be more to this thing of following Jesus than just a set of checklists so that I can feel better about myself. What about getting to know the God of all creation? What about getting to know the Savior who went to the cross for me? What about getting to know the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus? What about getting to know him and hearing him? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to I want to know how to do that. I'm still on this journey to try to find out more about how to get to know him better. And yes, I do want to live life more faithfully for him. But I think that's going to come out of that relationship that I have with him. Uh, When I was dating my wife, she didn't give me a checklist when I first was dating her. Like, maybe she should have. I don't know. But, you know, she didn't hand me a checklist and say, here, in order to have a relationship with me, in order to date me, here's what you will have to do. Open the door. Be here on time. Give me a birthday gift on my birthday. All of these, she didn't do that. And I'll bet your relationship wasn't based on that kind of a to-do list either, was it? Our relationship was built by spending time with one another, by listening to one another, picking up on the verbal and nonverbal cues that we both had, recognizing what we loved and what really struck a passion in our life and our eyes. Watch, watching one another for what ticked one another off. You know, the, our convictions, our emotions, our feelings, our desires, 
It was from spending time with one another and watching one another that we came to know each other. In 41 years, actually, I dated her for two years, 43 years now. You know, I'm still watching, still learning. But there's no checklist involved. I don't think God wants a henpecked relationship with us. <laughs> like, you're so henpecked for God. I think it's more than that. I think it's a relationship of getting to know him, sincere, very uh, personal thing, but it involves the community as well. I want to commit myself to the relationship with Christ, but you know, I don't want to commit myself to a list of to-dos just to do them, just so I can say, look, I've done this, this list. So today we're going to be over in Luke 5 and verse 15. We're going to look at something else, another practice that Jesus had in his life that I think enhanced that. Re- well, I know it did. He depended on this particular thing in his life with his father. It was very important to him. Jesus seemed to me to be walking with his father constantly. It wasn't a checklist of, oh, this, this, and this. Matter of fact, some of the things he did almost looked like he disregarded the checklist of old in some ways because it was more about his relationship with his father and seeing the heart of the father. So let's read uh, Luke 5, 15, and 16, and we'll pray, and we'll see what God says here today. Yet the news about him, speaking of Jesus, spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Father, I pray your blessing on your word this morning. I ask for your help. I ask that uh, you give me the gift of teaching, Lord, that you just bypass the frailties of my own life, God, and teach me, teach us what it means to walk with you to know you, to love you, to live in you and you in us. So help us today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We pray you come. Do what you do best, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus has been preaching, walking around the beach. I love it when it says Jesus was on the beach, even if it was a lake. And uh, he's walking along the lake, and people have began to, you know, listen to the things that he says. It's early on in his ministry. And uh, he comes up on these fishermen. And uh, you ever watch Deadliest Catch? I really like that show. I mean, I don't know. My dad was a Navy man and a fisherman, and he went out to the Gulf Stream a lot. And I've been out a bunch with him when when he was uh, doing that kind of thing. And So I can see Jesus walking down the lake and he comes up on these fishermen. They've got their nets in their hands and they're mending them and washing them and cleaning them out. And I can see them, you know, kind of weaving the net back and forth, throwing the trash fish out and and cleaning it all up. And Jesus walks up to them. And I don't know, of all the people in the world that Jesus would pick for a group of followers, his original leadership group, a group of fishermen like this, would, you would think, boy, he really goes for the hard ones, you know, right up front. And so he walks up to Peter and the brothers, and he begins to talk to them. And he kind of to make his point about where this whole thing is going with him is he tells them to put their boat out and go fishing again as you read the story. And Peter says, listen, you know, here's the way I interpret this. Listen, I know you're a rabbi but you ain't no fisherman. And we already been out there, and we know fishing. There ain't no fish. But Jesus says, try it. 
Just try it. So they go back out and they throw the net down and they catch a ton of fish. And of course, that catches Peter's attention. And uh, he's in awe. And uh, that just, I mean, everybody's in awe now looking at Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, you know, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the journey begins. The adventure begins. Then he heads into this town and this leper, this man with just, you know, sores and sickness comes up to him. He wants to be healed and Jesus heals him. The news, it says in 15, as we read, just spreads about him all the more so that crowds just press in on him. You ever felt like the whole world was pressing in on you? Everybody wanted something from you? Like all of your time was just taken up with people. People, people, always pushing in on you, always pushing in, wanting something from you. And that's the way Jesus' life started off with this. The crowds pushing in and pushing in and pushing in. Jesus, even when he was on the uh, water, you know, he took the boat and used it as a PA system. And I love this, you know, because if you've ever been out in the ocean on a good glassy day and there's a little bit of an onshore wind, you know, you can say anything like this and it'll go straight toward the beach and it's like a PA. I mean, God's smart, you know, he... He knows how to create PAs with the ocean and sand. And just to let you guys know, if you're wondering if there's a God, this is, you know, pretty good stuff, I mean, in this book. So Jesus puts out and he preaches this way, the little onshore wind, and it goes to the beach. They can hear him preaching. But life gets very busy for Jesus. And you have a fill-in sheet in your handout, and if you would like to follow along with me, you can fill these in. I can imagine Jesus would say many times like we do, I don't have time for this. My life is too filled and too busy. But did you notice this? This is your first fill-in. The busier Jesus was, the more important his times of solitude were to him. When people pressed in on him, and he healed and he preached... And he called leadership. It seems like every moment, every example that we have of him, when he's in those situations, Jesus pulls away. He finds a time to go away. Verse 15 in our text today in Luke 5 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And in verse 16, we read, But... Like, don't stop there. Yes, there's a lot of crowds pushing in on him. There's a lot of crowds pushing, pushing in on you. There's a lot of busyness pushing in on you. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Lonely places. Nobody wants to be lonely. Alone. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You know, you know what a margin is, don't you? You know, on your page... Uh, like if you're typing across and you have a lot of letters, you, you see the little bars up on the top, you set your margins. Uh, if you tend to be a little bit OCD, not saying anybody is, but you know, you always want to get your words precisely lined up and you're always shifting the margins. But if you're not careful, you shift your margins all the way out to the edge of the page until there is no margin left in your life. And you know what I like about margin? It's like in my notes today. I, I like to see the writing in the margins. I like to be able to have some space on the page. And most of our lives, we have not left any margin. None. Even if we have a margin going home, 
in our vehicle in the afternoons or going to work in the morning, we have our phone out. We are talking to someone. God forbid we are texting someone like six people we passed this morning. You see them going this way, back over that way. I'm like, I know what's going on there. It's too early to be drunk, so they're texting. You know, so. And we leave no margins. None. But it seems like with Jesus, the busier he got, the more that he wanted to create some margin in his life. And we were trying to reorient our lives here at the church during this month, during the month of January. And creating some margin is very important for us. You see, we say we want to be discipled. We want to be led by Jesus. But do you realize that your life is your discipleship? What you are doing right now is discipling you. The way you live your life right now is training you to do life just like you do right now. Your life is your discipleship. My life is my discipleship. And there's a beauty in that statement once you own it because if you own it, you can do something about it. But until you own it, it's always somebody else's fault or someone else has control over your life and you cannot create margin as long as you believe that. And again, our our goal in this life as as far as following Christ is not just to get through it. Not just to have a checklist, but to enter this life, to be open in this life and honest and sensitive to God in this life. And I have to tell you, God will not compete for your attention. He's not going to compete for your attention. We keep waiting for God to break in on us and say, well, God will interrupt my life. Do you really want to wait till something like that happens? Really? I mean, really. God will not compete. He wants you to give him that time. Your second fill-in, <coughs> excuse me, your second fill-in is this. The only person who can create margin is you. No one else. Nobody else can take that and squeeze it in where you have some margin on the page of your life. No one can do that. Psalms 46.10, uh, the 10th verse begins with this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Can we say that together? Be still and know that I am God. But we have a hard time being still, don't we? I mean, let's face it, we do. We've got so much stuff going on. And then we, we, we like detox or something. We don't have, I mean, I'm into the digital stuff. I'm pretty up on it. You know, I've got all kind of digital stuff going on around my, my life. And, uh, the, but the more connected we get, the more disconnected we seem to be. And I think that's especially true when it comes to our relationship with God. The only person who can create the margin and the time for you to be able to pull away yourself and find some time in that lonely place is you. And that, there's beauty in that. There's great news in that because maybe some of us are waiting for someone to come along and do it for us. Well, you don't have to wait any longer. It's in your hands. It's in your hands. One translation of that psalm says, Cease your strivings and know that I am God. Time to pull back. The poet, the Victorian poet, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, some of you may remember at least if they still teach her in school maybe, she had this poem that goes, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. 
But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Only he who sees takes off his shoes. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to let him teach us how to follow him into the lonely places at times. I have tinnitus. You know what tinnitus is? Not tendinitis. I had that too sometimes. But that's what happens when you get this birthday. But tinnitus is when you have a constant ringing in your ear. And I mean, I hear it all the time. And uh, it's just, it's, it's never not there. But one of the things that I've come to, I'm not going to say enjoy, but one of the ways I've turned this into a tool is that I know I'm quiet with God when all I hear is that ringing and that one note in my ear. I know then everything else has been pushed out because all I hear is that inner ringing. And then I know I'm quiet. Why is solitude a part of following Jesus? What do you think? Why did Jesus want to get away, be with his Father in a lonely place? What do you think? And that's not rhetorical. I mean, you can answer, actually. I mean, restoration. What's that? Connect with, yep, connect with his Father. Get refocused. Bring the life of heaven to earth. My kingdom come. is good one of the things that for me that it does is that when I'm quiet and I'm not having to do something it reminds me that it's not all up to me (laughs) you know the world and this church and even Jesus getting what he wants done is really not up to me it takes the superman complex away from us the superwoman complex away from us and we back out into God's presence in such a way that we Realize you went to the cross for me, Lord. There was nothing I could do to earn that. There was no work I could do. There was nothing. So I'm going to rest in that grace and that mercy that you have supplied for me. So I'm just going to sit. It's not all up to me. The kingdom rolls on. There's a portion of this we need to know. Martin Luther, in one of his inimitable ways and humorous ways, I think, you know who Martin Luther is? Martin Luther King, he's great too, but Martin Luther, the father of Protestantism, he said this, German theologian, he said, I sit here and drink my good Wittenberg beer and the kingdom of God comes all by itself. (laughs) I think Martin Luther had something dialed in. He realized, you know what, I don't need to think I'm so important. The kingdom will come. There are times when we just need to stop talking. I mean... We just need to stop and listen. And we can experience the presence of God. We can realize we have an inner soul at those times. We can realize that there's other things going on inside of us. Psalms 16.8 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. But we really don't do that, do we? We don't. Our eyes are on so many things. But if we can pull away for a little bit of time and just be quiet in solitude and rest for A few moments, our eyes can get fixed on the Lord. One author said that only in solitude can we rid ourselves of corrosion of the soul. I like that, corrosion of the soul. We get corroded. Life brings a lot of rust 
decay. It eats away at our life. And in solitude, we can be renewed. Jesus went to the lonely places. What do you do? It's like, well, Tim, tell me how to do it. Tell me how to go to the, what, what goes on in the lonely place? Well, it's lonely. And it's real quiet. And it's what I call intentional nothingness. <laughs> but there's a lot going on. You are intentionally not doing anything for a specified period of time. You pull away and you sit quietly before God. Now, three ways to make time, and we'll pull this to a close. I just want to give you some help on this this morning. These are some of the things, three ways to make time. And your first, the fill-in, and that part of, of this and the fill-in is this, simply that we do create time. Time is made, not found. You realize that. I've got to find time. Well, you only have 24 hours. You're not going to find 25. You know, you're not going to be able to find more time. You're not going to be able to. And we're all on the same page. We all get the same amount of time. Every one of us. All of us. You will never find more time than you have right now. Never. And we all have the same amount of it. You're the creator of what you do with your time. You are the master, the sole proprietor over what you do with it. It's yours, and you're the steward of it. You're the master of it. We all do what we want to do with our time. I do, and you do. So we have to create we make it. We don't find it. We make the time. We do it intentionally. In Mark one thirty-five, another reference to Jesus going out in those lonely places says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, I love it, Everyone is looking for you. Like, where have you been, Jesus? Don't you know how busy your life is? We're trying to manage your ministry. I mean, and if you read before it, his whole day before it was filled right up till the evening with people coming to him wanting to be healed and touched. And the evening comes, and what does Jesus do? He makes time to go and be with his Father. But there were still people, there were still people wanting to be with him. Even Jesus had to make time, had to create time to be with his Father. But you know what stops us from doing that? And this is your next fill-in, is that we have to learn how to say no. We have to learn how to say no. Because every time you say yes to something, you have just said no to something else. You only get so many yeses. And if we say yes to too many things then we say no to those times of solitude with God, those quiet times. We have to take it back. We have to learn to say no. Everyone is looking for you, and Jesus basically goes, so what? I have nothing to give them if I cannot get away and be with my Father. You have to say no to somebody. You'll have to. You'll have to say no to something to find some quiet time, some times when you don't do anything but sit in the presence of God 
quiet away from everybody. And you just wait quietly and you think on him and you sit. Out of that resting that Jesus went to early in the morning in Mark 1, as it moves on in Mark 38, he, went, he, he basically says, all right, let's go. I've been with my father, I've been up there, and when they say, where have you been? We've got to go. He goes, let's go to another village to preach. He's ready. He's full. He's powered up. Let's go. Let's move on. But it came out of that time when he said no to the crowds pushing in on him, even early in the morning. We have to learn to say no. And to some of you folks who tend to be a little codependent and can't say no to people. And I'm going to tell you, I've been like that. I'm like that. It's hard for me to tell people no. We've got a little people pleasing in us we want to be liked and we hate to let people down I just want to get you off the hook you can blame it on me now okay so when you tell somebody they come to you and you say no I'm afraid I won't be able to do that and they say why I say well Tim he told me to say no <laughs> and I'll get the emails it's okay and you can, you can send them to me just as long as you take that time and you go to the lonely place with God you know, and I do, I'm going to stop right now and pray for, for those of us who struggle with and feel guilty for saying no. Father, I pray for us. I pray that we will realize that most, 90% of what it presses in on us to take and rob us from those times with you, they can be dealt with later. They don't have to be dealt with in that 15, 30 minutes that we're along with you. So, Lord, I pray for us that we'll be able to say with much graciousness but conviction, I can't do that. I won't be able to do that then. So, Lord, help us with that. Amen. And uh, another little help, something I told people years ago when I did a lot of counseling, is a thing called the broken record technique. You know what that is? When I worked with people who couldn't say no, this was their assignment when they left my office. I would say, I want the next time, back then there were a lot of marketers calling your house. You know, you didn't have the block like you do now. I said, the next one that calls you, I want you to practice on this person, saying no to them. Tell them no in three different ways. And I'll bet you by the third time they'll hang up. There's something about three because once you rephrase it and you say, if you simply say someone asks you for something that you know is going to take time away from you for God, you can say, I'm sorry, I won't be able to do that. And then they go back, well, why can't you? It's not going to take that long. And you go back and go, I, I can't do that. I have a previous appointment. And then if they keep on, well, what's your appointment? What, 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 would, what would keep you from helping me? Then third time you go, I'm afraid I can't. They'll quit. 90% of the time, on the third response, they will quit. Try it. Just try it. You may get some persistent people that will take seven or eight times. Just get creative with that no and carve out, increase some margins for you in life where you have some time with God. And the last one here that you can do your fill-in to help out is this. You can do it badly. That is, finding some time. Just do it badly. Well, I couldn't find but five minutes. Well, do it badly. Take five minutes. G.K. Chesterton, the, the famous writer novelist, he had this saying. He said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> and see, now that'll just take some of, the, some of the heat off of you, okay? So you don't think I have to have this amount of time. Just do it badly. Just find some time with God alone and just do it badly. Just do it. So you say, Tim, I couldn't find but five minutes. Well, you did it badly. Awesome. But you had five minutes with him that you didn't have before. 
five minutes where you pushed the noise of this world out from your ears and you took all the visual graffiti and noise, white noise and white visual graffiti of all of it and you pushed it out of your life for just a little bit of time and you sat quietly with your maker who loves to spend time with you and you didn't say a word and you heard your heart beat and you heard your soul commune with God and you sensed the peace of God that passes all understanding in a moment when things get quiet. I'm going to close out with this. Over in 1 Kings 19, don't turn. I'm just going to paraphrase this. Over in 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah is coming off of a great success, great ministry success. I mean, God, fire came down out of heaven, killed these Baal prophets, licked up this wood, this altar full of wood that had been soaked with water and there had not been rain in forever. And they still soaked it. He prayed. God showed up. I mean, who wouldn't like a meeting like that? It's an exciting life. I mean, I love the flash. I love seeing God come. I love that. Elijah, he is just so fired up. And then he gets word that this woman wants to kill him, and that was enough. Send him into a depression. (laughs) After seeing God do miraculous things, but many times in your life, whether it's business, whether it's church, spiritual, whatever, you hit this big high, and things are awesome, and then suddenly you go down to shoot. You feel it. All your adrenaline's gone. Your emotions are gone. You are worn out. You are drained. You are wrung out. And Elijah was wrung out. And then he gets this news that this woman is after him to kill him. So he hightails it out of town by himself. God takes care of him. And this is a good word to us spiritually manic people. Everybody needs lonely times with God. Everybody. And so he runs off after this great victory and he goes to this cave. A very lonely place, if you ask me, a cave. He goes inside the cave and God asks him this. He says, Elijah, I love the fact that he called him by name. You know, you can't even hear God call your name until you get quiet. You don't know he knows you like that until you get quiet. Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah responds with this story. Like many of us, when we're down and depleted, it's exaggerated a little bit about how bad life is for him. And God says, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And along comes this great wind. And we know that wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and it just comes like in Acts 2.4. This wind comes, and the rocks are falling down the mountain And it's tremendous. But the scripture says God wasn't in the wind. Not then. Then an earthquake came and it shook. He was probably thinking back to Moses and thinking back, oh, God's on the mountain, on the mountain, on the mountain. And it says God was not in the earthquake. And then this fire came and it roared past the mouth of the cave. Surely God's in the fire. He was with Moses, the fire in the bush. We know that's another sign of the Holy Spirit in the presence, but it says God was not in the fire. Elijah grabs his cloak, wraps it around his face, walks out to the mouth, and this says, it calls it, the NIV says, that a gentle whisper came by the mountain. And he heard the voice again. In that gentle whisper, why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? 
It was in the whisper that God spoke. There's a part of our following Jesus that will only be experienced when we make room and we practice putting ourselves where we can hear a whisper. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. 